0: Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your face and help you to love God and people more. Well, if you have your Bibles, we want to however you get them, whether in book form or in app form, go ahead and open those up right now uh, to the Gospel of John. I know we've been in Luke the whole time, but today, for some reason, the lectionary uh, people who put it, that together wanted us to sh- switch over to John. Now, this is a very interesting story that we jump right into the middle of. So we'll have to build a little bit into it here in just a second. Uh, But this is a story that's found in all four Gospels. So I don't know why we didn't just stay with the Luke version. I think it's because John puts this story right kind of where we are in this Lent season, right before the triumphant entry, which we'll jump into next week as we begin Holy Week. Can you believe we're already... Getting to Holy Week, and uh, what an exciting time that's going to be! So you're going to want to be here on Palm Sunday, and then our Good Friday service. That's always a powerful service. I want to say that service is about reflection, but I don't want anyone who have young children to shy away from that service. Um, when Jesus was crucified, that was a public service. There were kids there, so you bring your kids. If they make a little noise, that's okay. Um, we are there to reflect... And so don't let that keep you away. It's a powerful service of reminder. And then, of course, Easter Sunday is just going to be phenomenal, and I can't wait for us to celebrate that together. And so I want to encourage you to go ahead and invite people, say, hey, you, go, you want, to want to be a part of this, and get them here on Easter. Easter is a great Sunday for new people to come and check us out. So bring someone with you, and we'll have some fun. But if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 12, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 8, and because this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will invite you to stand in honor and reverence, if you are able, for the reading of the gospel. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Six days before Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So you already see we've jumped into the middle of something big here. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. but you will not always have me the word of God for the people of God and our response is thanks be to God you may be seated I want to go ahead as you're being seated and I want to address that last line that Jesus says the poor you will always have with you you will not always have me because that I I just I want to set your minds at rest and I don't want you to be waiting around because we're not actually going to dive into a lot more than just to say this I don't want you waiting for this so let's just go ahead and address it right at the beginning is that okay what was Jesus saying what was he meaning because sometimes I have actually heard messages where it sounds like Jesus says you can't do anything about the poor so don't even bother (laughs) don't even try you're always going to have them, and so you know. That, you know, don't worry about that. That is not what was going on there. Jesus was using a very common understanding, and he only says the first part of it. It's kind of like for us, I'm when when I would say, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. You 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 know where where it's, he's going, and so Jesus is doing one of those. He's he's saying something that. The rest of the crowd and the readers in his day would understand exactly where he was going. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 15.11 that reads, There will always be poor people in the land. That was what Jesus said, but everyone would have known, and especially a good Jew like Judas, would have known the second part of this verse. Therefore, I command you, be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So when Jesus says this, he is not saying you can't do anything about the the poor, so don't try. He was telling Judas that he should already know what he's commanded to do for the poor, and that they've been a part of that. And his message has, and his ministry has been mostly among poor folks. And so he's he's actually chastising and goading Judas a little bit for his words. And he's saying, that's, that's what we're all about and what we've always been about. But you are missing the significance of what is happening right here, right now, in this moment, Judas. So you know what to do. And we're going to do that. But don't miss this. This is important. All right. Thus ends the lesson. <laughs> that lesson. <laughs> There's more to go. Uh, But I wanted to start today as we're entering and as we're in this season that just seems to keep extending and extending. What difficulty are you facing today? What difficult situation are you engaged in right now? I mean, I think it's an understatement to say the last two years have been a bit of a difficulty and it just seems to last and extend and extend and extend. And we've maybe gotten into the difficulty fatigue and we're like oh i don't even want to think about difficulties but for some of you you know tomorrow is monday so i want you to think for a second as you enter into your work week is there a school related or a work related difficulty? Maybe you have, you know you have to have that conversation with your boss or with your employee and you, you just know it's probably not gonna go well and, and you've run through all the scenarios and you're struggling and, and, or, or you're, you're ready to go to school and you haven't, you've been on spring break and you haven't had to deal with that kid. For the entire week, and it's been heaven. But now you know you're going back in, and he or she is probably going to be there, and they're going to say something. And it's going to frustrate you, or that teacher is going to demand this thing from you. Is it a work-related or school-related difficulty? Maybe it's family-related. Maybe maybe you know that hey, that dinner is coming up, or uh, you know Easter. We're going to gather and have our ham to celebrate the Jewish Messiah. Resurrection, new kingdom, and, and, and you know that the, the conversation is gonna turn political and, and you just, or they're gonna say that thing that they always say that just gets right under your skin, and they say it in such a positive, cheery way, but you know there are barbs attached to it. And you're just like, oh, I, do, I don't, I, is there any way I can get out of Easter? You're just, you just, you see that family related difficult. Maybe, maybe it's a friendship. Maybe over these past few years you've experienced in one way or another where people who were close friends took a hard right or a hard left politically and hit the gas, and they've just gone in such crazy directions that it just seems like every conversation comes back to whatever their particular view is. And you just you know you, you want the friendship, you remember the good times, but it's just becoming more and more difficult to have those conversations. Is, is it a friendship that's really struggling? What is the difficult situation for you? Our passage, I believe today, gives us some good help of what disciples are to be about when difficult situations arise. And maybe, just maybe, gives us a little insight into how we as disciples of Jesus are to follow through those difficult situations like Jesus. And so I've already told you, we jumped into our passage pretty early, uh, that we're hearing about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, I, I said early, I'm sorry, we jumped into it late, there's, a, there's been a ton that's happened. We're actually introduced to them. We would have, if we'd stayed in Luke, we would have been introduced to them. And that great story where Jesus is visiting Lazarus and Martha and Mary in, in the home of Lazarus, which is in Bethany. Remember last week I talked about Beth-Av, uh, house of the father. Beth-Ani, uh, Bethany, is house of the poor. Ani is poor. And so this was, uh, lets us know that this wasn't like a, this wasn't like a, a suburb. This wasn't the, the escape from the city. This was the house of the poor. And Jesus is there with Lazarus and Martha and Mary and, and Martha knows that, that Jesus is a pretty important, I mean he's got a, quite a big following and she's scrambling around and trying to get everything ready to, to serve him in, in Lazarus' house. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, which is not where a woman is supposed to be. That's the place where people who are learning from from a rabbi are supposed to sit. That's where students are supposed to sit. And, And women in Jesus' day were not allowed to be there. And yet, Jesus famously says, I will not take this away from her. She has chosen the right place. He's letting her learn and, and become one of His students. Then we hear, just if we were to go back one passage, dramatically, Lazarus passes away. And Jesus comes. And He sees Martha, and He sees Mary, and their worry, their anxiety, their grief at the loss of their brother. And the scripture tells us, John tells us, that he is filled with compassion. <laughs> Splanknon, that word we saw last week with the father, who is just like, he is so full of compassion that it's almost like his guts just move him towards that, that area. Same word for Jesus. When he sees their grief and the grief of the people, it says, he wept. And he was filled with compassion. And he says, move the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he resuscitates, miraculously, Lazarus. This obviously gains huge following. And people want to see Lazarus. They want to hear from Jesus. But it's also woven throughout this that in Jerusalem, Jesus is wanted. They've already tried to kill him once by stoning but he knew that to go and rescue his friend and to bring joy into the midst of grief for this, young, this little family in the house of the poor was more important than his life. So he goes. And that's where we jump in. And the interesting thing about our passage right off the bat, and I'm sure you've picked up on this, is that Mary is the one who gets what's about to happen. Mary's the one who gets it in this day and age. And I know in our day and age, thankfully, um, there's a lot of progress that has been made from Jesus day and age where now, you know, strong feminine characters are be, becoming acceptable and, and a part of our story life from superheroes on down to, to novels. But in Jesus' day and age, this would have been shocking to say, Mary is the one who truly gets what is going on. How does this happen? What, how do we know that she's the one who's getting it? Well, my hunch is that uh, she begins to understand that Jesus is bringing a new kind of kingdom because she has seen it. Over and over and over again. And so she just gets it. She sees that this is happening. And she has a feeling, my, my my hunch is that she had a hunch that Jesus was going to bring this kingdom about in a different way. He had been sacrificing and put others first all the way along. And so all of a sudden she has that moment where she gets it. And we begin to see what that looks like. First, I believe it starts for Mary with, with gratitude. Mary is grateful. We've already talked about some of this. Uh, for her, she, she sees that, uh, that this, th- these things have happened for her. Where she is grateful for the life of Lazarus. I mean, can you imagine, even even if you don't have a great relationship with a sibling, my hunch is most of you who are here today or watching with us online would not wish them to be dead. Or if they were dead and came back to life, there would be great joy about that. And so Mary is grateful for the life of Lazarus. But in her day and age... This means even more. She's also grateful for the livelihoods that Lazarus provides. In that day and age, women did not work except to to prepare things around the home. They couldn't just go out and get a job. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. Uh, If your male person in your home passed away, you became poor. And if you already live in the house of the poor, what does that mean for you? So she's grateful for the life of Lazarus. She's grateful for what Jesus is doing, for the livelihood that Lazarus provides. She sees that this kingdom that Jesus is bringing looks out for the vulnerable and looks out for all of their needs. She's probably also grateful for the liberty to learn. We we didn't read that, but I've told you about it from Luke 10. That this kingdom that Jesus is bringing overturns the power structures and begins to set things in different ways. She sees this. My hunch is, if you had longed all your life to be able to read Scripture, to be able to learn what God's purpose was for you and your family and your nation, and you never were able, there was something that held you back, and all of a sudden, someone tore down that wall and allowed you to learn what you've been dying to learn. What would well up in you would be some gratitude. You would feel grateful just like Mary feels grateful. And so, what does she do? She says, This kingdom is coming and it's so different. And so, she knows that I, what has to happen when a, when a king comes into his kingdom, is that king needs to be anointed. And so Mary goes. She's not just grateful, she goes to anoint the king. Again, this is mind-shattering, earth-shattering for a Jew of this day. Because that is a role or the job of the high priest, to anoint the king. And yet Mary, knowing that the difference in this kingdom that Jesus is bringing... She takes on that mantle and she goes and she searches for that alabaster jar because she knows that the king has to be anointed and she is going to do it. She steps into that role. She takes the lowliest position. Now, I saw a lot of scholars who, who then take this and, you know, we should be like Mary. And, and it's not a bad position. Um... We should be like Mary, we should take the lowest, you know, we should know we belong at the feet, you know, feet of Jesus, and and we'll get there in just a second, but I think there's something more that's going on with Mary anointing Jesus' feet. You see, typically a king would be anointed on his head. One of the Psalms talks about the king being anointed and the oil flowing down upon his beard and on his collar. That's a lot of oil. It's a symbol of God's presence. In fact, the word Messiah means anointed one. And the word Christ that we use for Jesus is just the Greek version meaning anointed one. And Mary says if he's going to be the king, if he's the Messiah, he must be anointed. And the high priest should do that. And no one has done that. And so she goes, but she doesn't anoint his head. She anoints his feet. It's as if, again, she gets it. And the gratitude, all the things that she was grateful for, reinforce this understanding. And so she goes not to the head, but to the feet. Now I want you to see this, because we often think of Jesus standing there or being at a table, and like, how did she get under the table uh, to anoint his feet? Because that's how we sit at a table. But this is how they sat around a table in Jesus' day and age. They would recline. And actually, where you see a little uh, letter C up there, if you can, that would be the seat of honor and everyone around there. So Jesus would be sitting right there in that first seat, right there on your right. He would be reclining. You reclined and you put your left hand here because you didn't use your left hand for anything. You use that for eh, the grosser things in life. We'll just leave it at that. And then you would feed this way and you could talk around the table. And typically the servant, the Scripture tells us Martha was serving. And so she would be coming in to the table and setting out the food. And they would be eating there. Mary comes around to the back of the table unnoticed. She just knows that this is where this king of this kind of kingdom that she is getting and she is so grateful for. She knows that he needs to be anointed. But she knows that this is a different kingdom and he's a different kind of king. And so she doesn't anoint his head, she anoints his feet. And I believe it's because anointing the feet is symbolic of the kind of kingdom Jesus is bringing. It's an upside-down kingdom. I love the way Diana Butler Bass puts this. She says, This kingdom was not that of headship, thrones, and crowns. Rather, this kingdom is a table of mutuality where the king was humbly christened to serve. You see, Mary gets it. All the things she's grateful for have proved over and over that this is a different kind of kingdom and Jesus is a different kind of king. And she takes upon herself that role of priest and she says, if He's the Christ, if He's the Messiah, He needs to be anointed. But typically that would be on the head. But this isn't that kind of kingdom. This isn't the kind of top-down kingdom. This isn't the kind of Lord that rules by strength and power and crushing people. This is a king who is a servant and has shown himself to be a servant all through his life and ministry and so it just feels appropriate that the anointing should be on his feet because doesn't it say somewhere how lovely are the feet of the one who brings good news so she anoints his feet she not only gets it she's not only grateful she not only goes to jesus but she is so generous in the way that she does it. She leaves nothing in the bottle. She poured it all out. In our measurements today, it would be about a half a liter. So get a two liter bottle of Coke, pour three quarters of it out, and you're in the ballpark. That's still a lot of Coke. Now imagine that that's essential oil. Do you think there would be some fragrance? She leaves nothing in the bottle. I want you to see this because I just think this is so beautiful in how we as disciples are to approach Jesus. This is an alabaster jar where you would store, uh, where precious, uh, oils would be stored, especially fragrances, because you don't want them to get out. And, and it's not a thing, and because this particular fragrance would be used primarily on a dead body, you use it once. And you use it all. And so you can see there's no lid. This isn't a take some off, put some behind the ear, you know, the wrists, and then close it back up. There's no cork to this. When Mary goes to anoint Jesus because she's got it and she's, she's understanding, she's grateful for the kingdom she's seeing. And she knows and goes to the king and goes to anoint his feet because that seems to be the kind of king he is. She opens it. The only way to open an alabaster jar is to break it and to shatter it and to let all the contents pour out. And she says, when I come to Jesus, when I come to this king, I'm giving everything. I'm holding nothing back. There's nothing left in the jar. I'm just going to be generous to whatever the king needs. And she begins to wipe the excess with her hair. Greek word, strange Greek word today. (laughs) Ready to learn this one? It's pretty simple to say. It's the word ekmaso. You want to say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. Ekmaso. Say it one more time. One, two, three. Ekmaso. Hey, guess what? It means wiping. Why is this significant? Because it's only used here in John's Gospel and one other place in John's Gospel. And that's when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and ekmasos their feet. See, Mary is already getting it. She's grateful for the kingdom she's seen. She goes to the king to anoint him in the place that it seems like the kind of kingdom he is bringing. She anoints that and sees that symbolism. And then she's already doing what Jesus is going to have to confront his male disciples in a few chapters and they're still not going to get it even after he tells them this is what my kingdom is about. And if I, your teacher, have done this for you, you also should do this for one another and they still don't get it. But here's Mary, our heroine, our hero, who gets it. And she's so grateful. And she goes to the king. And she's so generous. She holds nothing back. And she is already wiping his feet. Because she knows the kingdom of servants needs servants. Needs servants. She wipes that with her hair. I want you to enter into that. Those of you who have long hair, it will be easy. For others of us, it will be quite difficult. But to think about that for just a second, to use your hair as a towel. Now, A lot of scholars make, make a big deal about um, a, a woman taking her hair down that's very intimate. It's only something between a husband and a wife. Uh, I actually found one scholar who said for an unmarried woman, like Mary, that was not. She would have had it covered, but it still would have been long. And it's when you get married that your hair is put up. And only your husband, from then on, is to see your hair unbound. But she very tenderly wipes that up. And we're told that the fragrance of the nard, the pure nard, fills the room. My hunch is that stayed in her hair for a while. I, I'm telling you, I, I love to anoint people who are sick. I think it's an important work. It's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, to, to remind people over and over with a little bit of scented oil that the Holy Spirit is with them and can heal them. That we trust doctors, yes, and the Holy Spirit uses that, but when their wisdom is done, There's still room for what God can do. And and there's a little scent in there. It's actually frankincense. Can I tell you, it's about a couple of days before that gets off my finger. And it doesn't matter how many times you wash that finger, you still smell it. Can you imagine all of that in her hair? When you don't wash your hair every day. My hunch is she carried that moment with her. She carried that experience. She carried getting it. She carried the generosity and the reminders of how generous this servant king had been she she will be reminded of the importance of going to jesus to the king she'll be reminded of of where a king like that should be anointed because it's symbolic of the kind of kingdom he's bringing we anointed the feet not the head and we poured everything out before this king and that scent now travels with her i wanted to know a little bit about nard did you know that nard you can still get it today But the scent of nard has a calming effect. And it is actually an anti-inflammatory. Isn't that interesting? That the type of oil that would be used in this situation, that would follow Mary around for probably many weeks and maybe even as long as a month, would calm her would have those anti-inflammatory effects, almost reminding us what a disciple of this kind of kingdom looks like and the fragrance that they are to give out. Isn't this this just a beautiful passage? It's incredible that when you pour out your heart at the feet of the servant king, your view of your situation begins to change. The fragrance of how you enter into those situations begins to change because you begin to see what the servant king has done for you and that you can go to him and that you can pour out that situation, all of it. Not just a little bit, but you can pour it all out and it begins to change. And as you are intimately connected with Jesus in this moment, it lingers with you, it stays with you as you move back into that difficult situation you can actually have happen where things begin to become calm and things that are inflamed begin to reduce. We begin to see in this story that Mary shows that she is already a true disciple of this kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Now, of course... We have at the end this conversation with Judas. And in Judas's conversation, Judas shows that he's a title disciple. What, the, what is the title disciple? Do you see that? It says, and Judas, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. So he has the title of disciple. And he stands up to begin to pontificate as a title disciple but Mary has already shown that she's a true disciple you see title disciples grumble Hmm. shouldn't this have been used in a different way true disciples are grateful title disciples are greedy a year's wages I could use some of that true disciples are generous, here it is, all of it, take it, it's yours. I'm just so grateful. Title disciples have grandiose words, this could have been used for the poor. True disciples have godly actions. In the difficulties, I know where I need to be, I know at whose feet I need to be, I know at whose feet I need to pour this situation out, and I know that it's in His presence that that Calming and anti-inflammatory fragrance will follow me into the situation. The interesting thing, I saw one scholar who pointed this out. Both Mary and Judas prepare Jesus for burial. One, Mary, by blessing. The other, Judas, by betrayal. And it's as if we're left hanging at the end of this passage, wondering what kind of disciple am I striving to be? What kind of disciple are you striving to be? I I know all of us would love the knee-jerk reaction to be a true disciple, and I believe that for you, and I want that for me. But if I'm honest with myself, there are a lot of times I rest on the title more than the truth. Have you been there? Well, I know the Bible, what it says. But are the actions, is the surrender, is the generosity, is the getting it, is the going to the king, is that taking place in my difficult situations? So maybe we need to take just a moment here at the end of this sermon as we close to wrestle maybe you want to write these questions down and and take them home with you and during this week getting some time alone with Jesus to ask these questions Jesus am I getting what your kingdom is all about am I realizing that you were a servant king and therefore if I'm a subject of yours I'm called to be a servant as well if I'm your disciple Take your difficulty right now. Whatever that situation was that we talked about way back at the beginning of this sermon, whatever that is, whether it's at work or school or relationship or friendship, whatever it is, think about that in the moment and then move back into this situation. Can you look at that situation, that difficulty and say, are there things that I can be grateful for here in this situation? Things that Jesus has done for me? Can I be grateful even for what that person that I'm having that difficulty with right now? Is there something that I can be grateful for in their relationship? Reminding you of some of the good things. I was listening to a podcast this week that by uh, Francesca Gino. She was being interviewed. She's a Harvard business professor. And she was talking about polarized conversations. Nobody I know here has ever had one of those recently. But she said most polarized conversations can be diffused by thank you because statements. That when somebody says something that you disagree with and it has the opportunity to be polarized, to become that difficult situation, you can be grateful. You can say thank you. might take some practice. Thank you. And then because. Thank you. Because I didn't understand it just that way. I didn't know that. I... I need, I thank you for helping me see that. She said 85% of potentially polarizing conversations can be diffused just by a simple gratefulness. Thank you because doesn't mean you have to change yours. You can still be there, but you begin to be grateful in that difficult situation. Are there ways for you to be generous in that difficult situation? Are there ways for you to pour out your life so that when you enter into that situation, you bring that calming and anti-inflammatory effect into that difficult situation? Have you left something in the jar? And maybe most importantly, have you gone to Jesus with Your difficulty. Prayer is where the true disciples are formed. In that moment where you bring all of that to the king. Where you realize the type of king he is and the type of kingdom he gave his life to be and to form. You begin to understand as you move back into the difficult situation that Jesus will always show you how to serve. Even if you're a boss and you've got to have that difficult conversation and an employee's behavior does have to change or something in their employment will change, you can still enter that into, into that as a servant. As a true disciple of Jesus, you can bring that calming anti-inflammatory fragrance into that difficult situation. This whole message, I believe, leads us to this. Whatever your situation is, your situation needs a servant, not a superior. And Mary shows us that over and over. Husbands, your spouse, your family needs a servant not a superior. Wives, your spouse, your husband, your kids, your family, they need a servant, not a superior. Bosses, your employees, need a servant, not a superior. Employees, your bosses in that company and the customers that come in that door, they need a servant, not a superior. Kids, your parents, need a servant, not a superior. Your teachers, your friends at school need a servant. Not someone who thinks they're superior and knows everything. This is what true discipleship is about and this is how true disciples live into difficulty. The good news is the King is here. And He still invites you to bring all that's in your jar and lay it all out at his feet. And in that, that fragrance begins to move out into your difficult situation. Would you bow your heads? Jesus. Too often in our world, we get caught up And thinking that what our world needs is for us to be superior. To have all the answers. When you showed us that what this world needs. Is a servant. And you modeled that servant behavior. As you announced the kingdom. and And you served and you served and you served and. when the last way that you could serve was to give your life, you laid it down willingly. God, there are many difficult situations that we have. And each face here and each person online represents a different, difficult situation. Help us to hear today that we can enter into your presence And we can really begin to get what your kingdom is all about. Cause us to think about the ways that you have been generous to us. Help us to go to you. Help us to be generous and leave nothing in the jar. So that when we get up and we move into that situation, we bring that calming anti-inflammatory fragrance of being in your presence To whatever our difficult situation is. Father for those today. Who are realizing. That they've been acting like a title disciple. That they've been superior. Instead of serving. Help them to hear your voice. Calling them. Back into following you. And I pray that Cross Community Church would become a community of disciples, true servants following the Servant King into the kingdom that you died to bring forth. For we pray and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive this blessing? And now, my brothers and sisters, may you... Really begin to get it. As we approach Holy Week, may you begin to get the kind of kingdom that Jesus has brought into being through His death and resurrection. May that stir all kinds of gratitude within you. May you find it is open at His feet for you to go and approach the King and pour out all of who you are before Him. And may you get up and go into that difficult situation with that calming presence moving through you. And may you begin to see what servant leadership is all about. That our world needs servants, not superior beings. And I pray that you will experience joy in the midst of those difficult situations as our servant king leads you into his kingdom. I pray this in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Go in his name. If you're interested in baptism, go right across the foyer into room 103, and I'll be there in a second. Thank you for joining us online. We're so grateful you were here, and we'll see you again next week. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website.